this episode of the NLN podcast, Nursing Edge Unscripted, The Surface Track. Unscripted Conversations Surface joins two adventurous nurse educators as we reach beyond the surface to uncover stories from the trenches of education that feature challenges and vulnerable moments that occur right at the edge of novel innovation. This episode is entitled Roving Leadership, Creating Choices for Meaning and Inspiration, where we will unpack the connection between leadership and the role of the nurse educator. Today, we will focus on the leadership expertise and wisdom of Dr. Tagliarini, who is an author and several, um, an author of several books and one that inspired this episode. Um, and, and the book has the same title of our episode, Roving Leadership, Creating Choices for Meaning and Inspiration. You may also get to know Sal as a captivating storyteller, writer, business consultant, art dealer, and former Catholic priest. Sal has over 25 years of experience guiding organizations in achieving transformational and positive culture change, and also has done very special work with the National League of Nursing in developing educators as leaders. If I had to sum Sal up in a few words, I would say renaissance thinker and leader. So welcome, Sal. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Wonderful. And you know, Rachel and I, we, um, we have very special and fond memories of meeting you for the first time. And I, the first time I met you was actually at an NLN lead program where you were teaching nurse educators how to be leaders. And we went out to dinner to have a very special celebratory dinner uh, as part of the program. And I somehow, by the magic of the universe, got the special seat across from you and got to be the firsthand recipient of your wonderful stories. And um, when we, I described you as a storyteller, I really mean that. And I got to really benefit from, from your wisdom and story. So thank you. Well, the best part of that evening was neither one of us had to pay for the check. That, that, <laughs> I would agree. Thank you. <laughs> so we're so excited, as you can tell, to have you here and, and speak with you. I, too, have been a, a wonderful recipient of your wisdom and your knowledge and your experience. And I want us to dive into your book, Roving Leadership, uh, because I think that it is such an asset and a resource for especially nurse educators to understand how we can assume leadership roles when we're not in a formal leadership role, which is, I think, is something that is a huge barrier and challenge in nursing education. It's not unique to nursing education, but something that we really struggle with as educators, not seeing ourselves as leaders when we're not in a formal leadership role. So I would love to hear, and I would love for our viewers to hear more from you around some of these key concepts around roving leadership, like choices and leadership being messy and leading where you are. And so with that, I just want to toss it out to you to gain some of that insight. Terrific, Rachel. I think it's important for people to have some sense of where your journey has had an aha moment. And for me, I studied with a man by the name of Viktor Frankl. I spent three years with him as a student and as his teaching assistant. Now, Victor was a Jewish psychiatrist during the Nazi administration. He lost his mother, his father, his wife, his country, his occupation. And it was remarkable. I, I said to him one time, how did you survive this? And what did you really learn from it? And he said, 
One of the things that I learned was no matter what your circumstances are, there are always choices. And I thought myself, I can't imagine being in a worse set of circumstances than that. And what it taught me was that, especially with regard to leadership, leadership is a choice. And a lot of times, honestly, it's a messy choice. There are problems with being a leader. There are challenges with being a leader. And I've heard it over and over again. People say, well, Sal, I don't have any choices. And the reality is you always have at least one choice. You don't have a choice about your circumstances. You don't have a choice many times about where you work, what people are like, what the restraints are like, what the controls are like, but you always have choices. So that's the first premise. The second thing is that, you know, I have heard so many myths starting with academia in the culture. And I think it's really important before you figure out what kind of system do I operate with regard to leadership, you have to have leverage. And one of the ways you get leverage is start to look at the myths. One of the biggest myths about a leadership is that leadership can't be taught. You know, all, all leadership is based on this idea that Rachel in, in the fourth grade, someone looks out and says, Rachel, you are a leader. And then they turn towards Michelle and say, forget it, Michelle, you will never be a leader. Okay. So one of the things that just think about some of the great moments in history. Do you think when she got on the bus in Alabama that she knew that she was going to be a leader in the whole racial movement? It was the opportunity that happened. So I think what we have to discard right off the bat is that leadership is not something that can't be taught. And the other thing that I, and that's why I call it roving leadership, leadership is all around you. Every day, there are hundreds of moments to lead. And so we need to get out of our heads to get leverage that leadership is some gigantic thing that because I am not at the top of the totem pole, I can't be a leader, okay? The other thing I think we need to dispel are things like, well, you can't be a leader if you're an introvert. Some of the most phenomenal leaders in the world have been people who are more reflective. I happen to be a blabbermouth. You know, I can yak, 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 yak. And a lot of times I have to stop talking and realize there's somebody in the room that probably knows five times more than I do about the subject, so I should listen. So leadership is not confined to a personality type because I hear it a lot. Well, you know, Sal, I'm shy. And because I'm shy, I don't speak up at the meeting and I don't have opportunities. Well, part of that is a systemic problem. We need to find and cultivate ways in which all of the people can be heard. The other thing is that, and that's why I call it roving leadership. Leadership is not a static. Even in this meeting, for example, there will be moments when Michelle is the leader, when Rachel is the leader, and I am the leader. The other part of uh, a myth that I would like to dispel is you can't be a leader if you don't have power, privilege, and the right initials after your name. I'll give you a personal example of this. I had kidney surgery a couple of years ago, and the surgeon who uh, did the surgery was considered to be the finest surgeon in the DC area. 
I will refer to him as Dr. God because he was convinced that he was God. Well, after the surgery, he came into my room, said everything was successful. And he said, you have a stent in your right kidney and I will take it out in two weeks. And the nurse was in the room in a very polite manner said, Dr. Sal has two stents in his kidneys. And he turned to her in an ugly voice. He said, did I miss something? Did you go to medical school? He has one stent in his kidney. Do you understand that? I happen to be the surgeon and you are a nurse. The nurse is mortified. I'm mortified and Dr. God leaves the room. Three weeks later, I'm on a business trip and I experienced tremendous pain. I called doctor and he said, well, it's healing and that's why you feel pain. In the interim, the nurse without power, without privilege, goes to his resident and says, that guy has two stents in his kidney. He's gonna have tremendous difficulty if we don't deal with that. The resident goes to Dr. God, he looks at the ultrasound, calls me up, first lie, the nurse missed it. She told me that there was only one stent in your kidney, okay? Well, the reality was that nurse was the leader, not him. She was the leader who took a risk she didn't have power. She didn't have privilege. She didn't have the right initials as far as he was concerned. And that's one of the things that we have to convey to people, that you don't need these things necessarily to be a leader. It depends on the circumstances. And I will tell you that I have spent a lot of time pro bono with nurses groups. And my one observation is they are as bright as any senior executive I've ever worked with. But the key issue is a lot of times I feel like I can't affect change because I am here in the organization. You don't have to be at the top of the organization to change something, especially as teachers, by the way. You know, you believe it or not, change the world without seeing it because in the future, people will be involved with that. So I think what we have to do is we have to look at, are there any myths that get in your way because if they are, let's test them. Another one, by the way, is um, women are too emotional to be leaders. You know, what complete nonsense that is. Uh, and I have seen where a woman has been direct and honest and tactful, and all of a sudden we put the label on her, well, she's much too aggressive. Whereas Harry, who said the same thing five minutes before, the, the group acts like he invented truth. So that's another one. We have to get away from, you know, the stereotypic behavior that says you are the leader and you are not. And one other thing that I think is critical. The first decision, Rachel, you made about yourself was really not made by you, it was made by other people. Now I'm not into the villain theory, okay? But so many of the messages that you received about life, about all sorts of things, they're not yours, they're somebody else's. And so one of the critical things in building a platform for leadership, you have to ask yourself in the now, who am I and am I a leader? Because we need to test the unexplained beliefs that we carry with us. And, and you know, and it's all personal. I'll give you, a, uh, I am the child of two immigrant Italians. And in my culture, uh, touch is a very important issue. The rule in my family was when we would visit someone, it would take us an hour to get in and an hour to get out. 
And the reality was, if it was moving, kiss it. Well, Elaine's family is totally different. Irish American, incredibly warm and generous, but my father-in-law, this marvelous guy, was totally uncomfortable with the concept of touch. And when my mother first met him, it was like watching somebody hug a broomstick, okay? He was just totally in panic that this insane woman was engulfing him. All of these things have to be cleaned up with regard to leadership. And that's why I, I really believe under the right set of circumstances, anyone can be a leader. And this is really true for nurse educators. I mean, you guys touch the world. You are in the process of teaching other people that there are holds to fill, uh, there's meaning to be established, and inspiration comes from the reality that somebody feels they have a role to play. I think that, that I, I've never met anyone who doesn't want to leave their mark in the sand. And leadership is the phenomenal opportunity. And once you look at the opportunities, once you decide that you have capabilities to be a leader, by the way, you will start to see around you all of the opportunities. It makes me think hearing this and, and back to your story of the nurse and hearing you talk about the myths really makes me think about uh, the importance of us to examine the scripts that run for us and the narratives we create um, and being able to flip that script. Like you said, our first decisions were shaped by others who made those for us. So um, what are your thoughts on that about? And I think this also ties into imposter syndrome, which is another uh, challenge all, I think all professionals face, but we particularly see it, especially in nursing and nursing education, because we see experienced clinicians typically transition as an expert from the bedside to nursing as a novice educator. And that role transition can bring a lot of stuff with it, um, especially imposter syndrome. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that too. Yeah, I think imposter syndrome comes uh, back to some of the things that I touched on. One of the things that's really critical in leadership is that you stop trying to be somebody else. Uh, I love that line of uh, when you are looking for a role, uh, all of the other roles are taken. There's only one left and it's to be yourself. Well, what's critical here is that people need to understand where their strengths are. That's why I love strength finders. But for example, if I'm an introvert and my real strong suit is research, don't be apologetic for that. Research has been a phenomenal way to change the world. If your strong suit is relationship, then don't be apologetic for that because building relationships is a way of building trust and leadership never exists without trust. Where people don't trust each other, you don't have leadership, you have back backbiting, you have gossip, you have people avoiding opportunities. And so, the critical feature with regard to imposter syndrome, and this is my bias now, I, all the gurus always tell you, get out of your comfort zone. Okay, Rachel and Michelle, get out of your comfort zone. It scares the hell out of a lot of people. What I have found is go back into your comfort zone, find out where you are successful, find out where your strengths are, and then look for opportunities for leadership within that scope. You will find, I think, people more willing, willing to, to take risks. Uh, comfort zone is, is kind of gradations. You can put your toe in the water and say, well, 
I didn't drown, so maybe I could put my ankle on the water. Oh, I still didn't drown. It's, you know, and we have a habit, by the way, of focusing too much on deficiency and not enough on expertise. It's like the kid that comes home with four A's and a B, and the parents say, help me understand how you got that B. Well, you've just totally discounted the fact that this kid has a strong suit in four subjects. And, and so I think the imposter syndrome, the other reality is there's a vast difference between your feelings in your head. If I could change your feelings, Michelle, they would have candles in front of me, okay? I don't know how to do that for Sal. Feelings don't have to change how you decide. And one of the things that I've learned, I've probably spoken a thousand times in my life. I've never once not been terrified before it starts. Never once. And the reason is, in my head, there's a person that, that is a permanent resident. I have now named him Gloom and Doom Sal. Gloom and Doom Sal comes on and says, oh, well, the room is too hot. It's a bad time of the day. They're exhausted. And he goes on and on and on and on. Well, I have learned not to shut down uh, Gloom and Doom Sal while he is chirping away. However, there comes a point where I say, delete, delete, delete. I accept my feelings, but my feelings don't have to make decisions. So Rachel, it's the same thing with the imposter syndrome. If you didn't feel uncomfortable at times, I would worry about you. Everybody has that experience, okay? But is the reality, are you an imposter is vastly different from feeling like an imposter. The other reality, and I think this is particularly true of a lot of the nurses that I work with, there are two key issues here. One is, again, I will reinforce the concept. I think nurses by and large are as bright as any senior executive I've ever worked with. But there's one significant difference and then I'll name another. One is that many nurses don't understand the difference between activity and strategy. Activity is pulverizing. What happens because nurses are first of all, the most trusted group in the, in, in the United States. And almost always you have a caring, caring individual. It's just one more thing will make the world better and it doesn't. And so if you don't have what's really important and you don't have strategy, what happens is the road to burnout is clear. You know, you're just gonna get pulverized. And uh, I live with a nurse for many, many years as a bride. And Elaine's biggest challenge is the word no. She doesn't know how to say the word no. And there are times when that comes from lack of understanding what are the five things that we are trying to achieve? Because it's uncomfortable to say no. It's uncomfortable not to um, perform always the next you know, activity. But activities by themselves almost never, never bear the kind of fruit that we, you know. And this is a challenge for teachers to convey to their students that, you know, uh, where are you going? See, my whole world, uh, and, and, and I am an outcome freak. I always work backwards. Whenever I'm, I'm listening to someone, I am always listening for what is the outcome. Because if you know what the outcome is, then you know what the behavior should be. 
If you don't know what the outcome is, okay, Sal, there are 14,000 more activities that you should perform. And at the end of it, and I'll give you a funny story. Uh, I did some pro bono work for a group of nuns in New Hampshire, and the mother superior was charming. But if you wanted to establish the word control in a dictionary, you should just open it up to Mother Maria because she was the all-time control freak. She wanted to control everything. And I consistently said, sister, with all due respect and deference, those are activities. Oh, we can't give up the activities. The world will end and God will be unhappy and so on. I said, sister, what do you want to happen in this convent a year from now? And she told me that was the aha moment for me because that was an outcome. I finally, finally broke through that sister, all of these wonderful activities will not get you that outcome. We have to, to... so again, I wouldn't worry too much about the, the feeling. First of all, discomfort a lot of times leads to learning. The real danger is the Lone Ranger uh, attitude that because I feel discomfort, I have to solve everything by myself. And there's something wrong with me because I'm not perfect. And see, by the way, this gets back to decisions too. One of the decisions I gave up a long time ago was being perfect because I can't be perfect, but I can strive for excellence. And so when somebody is dealing with the imposter syndrome, my first question is, um, well, what would you need to get out of the imposter syndrome? And a lot of time what they really need is mentoring or coaching or support or encouragement. See, inspiration is a wonderful thing, but inspiration really almost always comes from outcome. The other thing I would mention to you, Rachel, is that nobody that you are teaching or none of your faculty have not experienced some challenge in their life. We need to refresh them that this isn't the first hurdle that they've jumped over. See, inspiration also comes from memory and memory comes from accomplishment, okay? The other reality I will tell you about the imposter syndrome, it almost always is focused and riveted in failure. We look back on our failures and we say, well, I shouldn't be here because unfortunately, this is terminology, I am a failure. Rather than saying, I have experienced failure in this. And then for me, by the way, failure is feedback. It allows you to look at the opportunity to learn from it. Now, if you're repeating the same failures, then you really need to talk to someone because that's, that's a behavior that's just punishing. So um, I hope that answers your question about uh, posture and syndrome because I think it's very, very true of uh, uh, when you assume the next step, especially in the leadership thing, um, feeling like, you know, I'm not sure I should be here and I'm not sure that I can be successful. Those are all normal feelings. I don't think we should ever deny those, but we should test it, you know? And then what would it take for me to believe that I am not an imposter, I think is an important step. All insightful points. I so appreciate that, Sal. And I also like too, how you linked back this idea of back to choice. We always have a choice. So when we encounter failure or we encounter an experience that may not have come to the outcome we were hoping for, we have a choice in how we use that and leverage that to grow and move forward. 
So we're conscious of our time boundary. Our conversation with Sal can keep going and it will. We're going to pick this up in part two of Roving Leadership and its connection with nursing education on the next episode of the NLN Nursing Edge Unscripted Surface. Until then, be well.